and welcome back to The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. And with that, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form The Dice Men and The Dice Are Screaming podcast. Welcome. It's Tuesday and we have some topic about Greyhawk to continue talking about tonight. Yeah, so, we're picking up where we left off, just having a good time with it because it's a topic near and dear to our hearts. Uh, something that, you know, it's just a lifelong love affair and it deserved a two-parter because we covered, you know, its its origins and the package and, you know, the, the original setting that was available to people last time. Yep, and we're going to move it forward with uh, the From the Ashes and, of course, the transition from first to the second edition, some of the things that happened therein, and uh, probably get into the later edition of uh, Living Greyhawk, but uh, that'll be a little bit later. We also have some things to talk about. Uh, a little public service announcement for those of you supporting CampCon on GoFundMe. Um, it's nearing its final phase, and everything's looking good. So thanks to everybody and appreciations to those who gave some money through some hat and a ring. Yeah, and remember, you know, when it comes to this kind of thing, it doesn't matter how much you give. Don't ever feel like, you know, like, oh, it's not worth doing if I can't do 50 or 100. No, no, no. Five bucks, two bucks, one buck. Doesn't matter. That's right. You know, if... Uh, you feel like it's a good thing, a worthwhile event, uh, throw your hat in the ring. Just to, uh, you know, your two cents worth is still two cents that wasn't there before. Right. And, you know, um, I think afterwards they're going to be doing a, oh, uh, a collection of gaming materials and supplies that might be needed. So make sure you check that out. Check out with DM Southie on Twitter. Yes. Just DM Southie, just like it sounds, uh, with uh, IE at the end. Yes. And he'll, uh, hook you up with uh, where you need to go. Just contact him if you're interested in helping out. But uh, as we get along in this message, we also would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of our good sponsors on Anchor. So we're going to take a quick break and get right back to you after these short messages. And we're back. Thanks for your appreciation and indulgence. And of course, if you're thinking about getting into podcasting, Anchor FM is the one we would recommend. Oh, yeah, it's done great by us, uh, and <laughs> believe me, I, you know, we are the damp left sock of gaming podcasts, Ooh. you know, we, we could not have, isn't it terrible when just one is soaking and the other is fine, it just put throws you completely off your balance. It does. That's yeah. us, the damp left sock of gaming podcasts. I like it that it's left, just not <laughs> the damp, one damp sock, it's the damp left sock. Yeah. Yeah. Very but, specific, but uh, well, I appreciate that uh, specificity <laughs> in these uh, troubled times. Uh, but gives if me we purpose. can do it, if we can do it, you can do it. Yeah. You can jump on board and try your own podcast. Um, yeah, you get your voice out there. Anchor is fantastically <laughs> easy. Yeah, so uh, last time we talked about uh, the Greyhawk box set, um, a lot of great adventures were set there from the what could be called, I guess, the classic era or golden era, if you really yeah. want to get in there. All the classic modules had uh, Greyhawk antecedents. They, they had some reference point inside to indicate where in the Greyhawk campaign setting they were located. Most of them. Now, this was somewhat less true of the early B-series. Uh, for instance, uh, oh, um, The Known World. The basic expert stuff. Yeah, the basic expert stuff, uh, this was less true. The advanced Dungeons & Dragons setting modules 
on the other hand, were a different story. Almost all of them included some little side note indicating what country, uh, what kingdom you were dealing with, what what power playing uh, kings or queens were commanding your services, mm-hmm. or what you know powerful wizard or potentate had contracted you for this potentate. special mission. Potentate. Mm. Yes, I used potentate. Yeah. I got to use potentate today. I feel good already. Yeah, that's a great day. Uh, yeah, basic and expert and uh, companion and masters, they were pretty much set in their own world, but uh, the known world wasn't uh, all of that hard to transplant in any place, and I think uh, that was one of its allure and charm, is that it was a, a pretty firm and solidly made little world, kind of compact in its own, but uh, lent itself well to innovation and being transplanted or transposed. Uh, this included uh, Blackmore, did it not? Uh, the Empire of Ularum, uh you know. Yeah, yeah. I I think it was both they both shared a Blackmore. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, those those pre modules uh, pre Greyhawk uh, were making use of that very early setting. Yeah, yeah. They kind of put Blackmore solidly in basic because the or the just standard Dungeons and Dragons as opposed to the advanced Dungeons and Dragons line because of the uh, legal problems <laughs> with Dave Arneson, you know, and uh, all yeah. that. So he ended up getting Blackmore, I think, uh, fully put in there. Temple of the Frog, City of the Gods, and all that was. Uh, and the Grand Duchy of Ten, I think, was put in there as well. But, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, those you know modules had a firm place in their own kind of world. And uh, maybe we should talk about the known world at some point in time. But uh, No, no, that's uh, worthy of a different discussion at some point. Yeah, but uh, Greyhawk, you know... Uh, a lot of stuff came out of it. The the artifacts and everything were fairly well tied to events in the world of Greyhawk. But again, you know, it was one of those things where the serial numbers could be eels, easily filed off. And, uh, you know, it could be fitted into your campaign with very little fuss. So that was the big thing. But Greyhawk did have a lot of early firsts as far as making a campaign world a viable and active participating place. And so... During the first this edition of Dungeons & Dragons, the AD&D age, uh, the second edition came in, and uh, much like uh, Faerun, uh, it went through its own kind of little change. Uh, it did, all right, uh, in the transition between yeah. first and second, on the journey to that transition, uh, there was a lot of player participation, which, mind you, I think was great. Okay, not I'm not poo-pooing anything here. Much of the change came from the players. You know, people volunteering to write new material, uh, creating uh, adventures in magazines, writing articles, uh, expanding upon the existing material available for the world, uh, adding deities, uh, class specialties, new spells. All all of that stuff came out of an atmosphere that was very player input friendly. Yeah, well, I guess... uh... After the Greyhawk Wars box set, which, you know, uh, Douglas, uh, or David Cook, excuse me, not Douglas, I was thinking Douglas Niles, David Cook, or Zeb Cook as he's more famously known, uh, did the Greyhawk Wars box set, and uh, in there was the Flight of Fiends. Now, I believe in uh, Isle of the Ape, WG2 or 1. Oh, um, World of Greyhawk they, series, yes. Yeah, the... They had the Hidden Temple of Thrasduin, which was kind of linked to the uh, Hidden Caverns of uh, Sajakanth. Oh, yeah, the Lost Caverns of Sukhanth. So, yeah, Lost Caverns, my bad. Lost, forgotten. A synonym strolls into a tavern. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> a, heart, a hyperbole comes crashing into a bar and just totally destroys it. Um, with that, yeah, you had uh, those two modules, and then they had Isle of the Ape, where the Crook of Rao was brought in, and uh, they kind of used that as a way to get rid of the demons and devils. Just one use of this artifact will cleanse your world of all evil outsiders. <laughs> use as directed. Uh, yeah, well, and that led to the Tanari Batazu era. You know, well, yeah, they, they, they put the mechanism in there if you wanted to play it out instead of just start the campaign over. Well, they, they didn't really give you much choice. From the Ashes box set when it came out kind of had a little bit more openness to it. Carl Sargent, as we spoke of last episode did his best and i thought did a really good job oh. of detailing things like the doom grinder i mean holy cow what a thing to pick up out of there as i was looking through it today this black stone windmill that's just slowly turning and it's called the doom grinder and it's believed by some that it, when it reaches its full apex uh will just uh, signal the end of the world and all these other things attributed to it. And it ends up being a big um, monstrosity constructed by Darrow. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> oh. uh, he couldn't have just gone with an Elric of Melibity, Elric at the end of time moment where, you know, uh, to get the strength to blow the horn, he you know, drives Stormbringer into Moonglum, kills his own friend, he blows the horn and begins the, you know, the universe over again. Oh, well... No, I, I no, no, I, I, I know that would be that would be a little too much of a rip. I just like it because it was Elric related. Yes, but the Doom Grinder was one of the little facets that he brought out. Also, uh, it's got a certain dark grimness to it that is characteristic of Carl Sargent's work. And look, at, the guy was going to take flack no matter what he did. Okay, with a momentous change like that, and I'll admit it, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bandy words with people here. Okay, I was among the people who were who were less than amused by some of the alterations made in the second edition. So, uh, it, I had my nose at a joint for a while, but I got on board as time went on. Uh, yeah, second edition, for better or for worse, uh, carried uh, Greyhawk forward with the uh, From the Ashes box set and allowed kind of the, thrive, uh, the setting to thrive. Uh, it did bring to collumation some of the plots that had been festering about in some of the writings from... The World of Greyhawk uh, Articles and Dragon by Rob Kuntz and uh, Gary Gygax, respectively, as well as uh, Len Lakofla. Oh, and, Len Lakofka. Yeah, yeah. Lakofka. It's a hard name to get your tongue around, but yeah, they uh, all added a little bit to it, and uh, the Gods of Greyhawk also expanded it. And, you know, just really, uh, after Gary's departure, there was an absence of a leader in Greyhawk, and uh, later uh, in second edition after Sargent departed, after kind of being run out of on a rail by the fans, uh, Roger Moore took over. And Jiminy he, Pete, it's not like he was Ralston. Okay. Well, well, no, but, you know, fans being who they are, sometimes fandom can be toxic, and I'll admit that yeah, as much as uh, anyone, you know, uh, people formed hot, very high-minded and cemented opinions about what and how things should be, and how they should be run. Because, well, Greyhawk was a pretty open place, prone to DM utilization, rather than authoritative. This is this country, exactly defined down to its narrowest borders. Yeah, With enough room for you to make adventures, but not enough room to, say, invent your own political plots outside. Yeah, a lot of wide open space in Greyhawk. A lot of unclaimed real estate. Okay. Yeah. 
you know, and it was implied, but it wasn't filled in. So the DM had their work cut out for them. And, uh, you know, from the Ashes box set also had a number of adventure cards. And uh, there was also a City of Greyhawk, which, I, when you thought of Greyhawk City, you thought of this large metropolis, and it ended up being a very nice little box set, but not quite the bustling metropolis that you would expect. So there was some down moments in how Greyhawk was perceived by the fans, and these sometimes just didn't go over well. I don't think it would have been easy to prepare a published uh, version of the City of Greyhawk that would have lived up to anybody's expectations. Exactly. Because it was just... Uh, it's the name of the freaking campaign setting. The, the city is the, the flagship of it. Uh, the free city of Greyhawk. A, an independent city-state uh, that is so chock-full of adventurers that, hey, well, woe betide you. you, know, you there's, there's enough powerful magic going on there that you don't really want to invade that one. Yep. Just leave them be. Yep, and of course, with every... Greyhawk NPC in there. Almost everyone was an analogram or mix mash of the players. Uh, Jim Ward, Dramage. Oh, spell yeah, it backwards. That's right, Dramage. <laughs> just spelled his name backwards. Jim I'm Ward's the instant summons. Yep. And the fighter, Urag, Gary. <sighs> yeah, they sometimes weren't too subtle, but hey, it was that time. As far as my Greyhawk name, taking an anagram, it would be Tonner Dapti. No. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Tensor and certain. Mm-hmm. Yep, that Mirror Mirror episode of Grey, their infamous Greyhawk campaign where they all went through a mirror of... Op where the world of the Mirror of Opposition actually existed on the other side of the mirror. Oh, great, like evil Star Trek. Yeah. Exactly, like, you know... They, they all got, like, you know, little goatees. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what if they had goatees to begin with? Well, then they were gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the other world, they don't have a goatee. Their names are backwards. Okay, so, right on. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, house uh, games from Gary's that made its way in there, and, uh, of course, we covered that pretty much last time, but it's, it's just fun to talk about that some of the names are kind of, when you look at them, kind of hokey. But there's a certain charm to that as well. Oh yeah, look, uh, these guys were not writing. Uh, they were they were not sitting down for a game writing this as intended high fantasy. They were sitting down for a game planning to have fun, mm -hmm. and the chips might fall any which way at any given moment. You didn't know, okay? There was no, there's no plan. There's no promise from your DM that you're like, oh yeah, this character is going to make it to at least level twenty. No. You could write this character and it'll be gone in an hour, or you could write this character and it could be there a year later. You you went in with no idea. So, you know, I think they can be forgiven for yeah, not having, course. you know. Uh, there was just a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor that some people seem to think was unnecessary. And I'm kind of like, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> well, all fun is techni technically unnecessary. But yeah. it's fun. That's yeah. why we do, do it. it. Yeah. If this was my job... I would be paid for it, and I would show up with a cup of coffee in my hand, uh, praying for death. Uh, instead, this is my fun, and I show up to do it for free. I spend money on it, and I labor extensively because it's fun. So, <laughs> so yeah, the other things from the from the ashes I looked at was Ibid the Undying, which uh, kind of didn't see print, but was kind of a fan. Oh, sort of yes. thing that uh, he—it was an unfinished manuscript that was kind of <clears throat> leaked, and uh, people, you know, spread it around. Here's a PDF. Psst. 
Yeah, yeah. Back in the days of uh, going down to Kinko's photocopies and, you know, running off, uh, <laughs> spending 20 bucks running off a bunch of copies of it and then handing them out to your friends. Uh, which, yeah, gamers did crazy stuff like this. You know, like just ate the expense on their own so that other DMs would have the material handy. Uh, you know, favor from gamer to gamer. Much like with uh, very simple computer programs of the day, uh, hastily making a copy on a disc and handing it off to you a pal was typical. It was not, it was not considered some vast web of international crime that needed to be quashed. It was like, hey, I really liked this and I think you'll like it too. Spread the word. But uh, they came out with uh, the Marklands, which was uh, another excellent supplement. Uh, the Shieldlands had been shattered, and I know from my own personal experience, I was a little unhappy with that, but I made the best of it. I kind of took parts of it that I liked and, uh, you know, changed other things I didn't and made it in kind of my own. But uh, nonetheless, I uh, also covered Periandi and Voluna, and they tried to kind of give that treatment that uh, Forgotten Realms so well got to Greyhawk, but again, it was kind of cut short. Um, there, I'm going to just address a couple things uh, that come out of this era. Uh, from my association with used groups at the time, the, the early stages of the internet were just forming around 96, 97, and I began to get wind of these things. Uh, they said, you know, that the TSR staff was kind of upset over Greyhawk. There was a lot of bad feelings about how Gary kind of big-footed and things. And I'm not going to really get into the politics of it, but it does kind of show that there was a subtle form of uh, snubbing of Greyhawk material, especially new stuff. And uh, Roger Moore would speak about it a couple times here and there, that he kind of struggled to get projects off the ground. He always seemed like to have, when he was doing the uh, uh, main head for the Greyhawk line, he seemed to have a lot of problems with uh, staffing and resources. But that could also be from the other point of the view that TSR was going through a very hectic time of adapting because of a certain <laughs> game, you may have heard of it, I don't know, what kind of obscure called Magic the Gathering was coming out around 95, 96. And, uh, oh, even before that, I mean, it was uh, creeping up in the, the background in like uh, 93, 94. Yeah. But it was starting to hit its apex, you know. It, yeah, that, yeah. That moment where it, you know, the tipping point where all of a sudden it just, you know, broke the levee and the waters are running. <laughs> Magic Flood! Yeah. Yeah, I by got 96. bit by the magic bug. I, oh, I yeah, we played that. Uh, I mean, heck out of it for a while. You know, uh, truth be told, we were playing just after the Legends era. You know, uh, Legends, the Dark, Revised, were really, really ever-present uh, oh, yeah. at the time we started playing. And I, I seem to recall that we were still kind of engaged right up until around the 4th iteration, the 4th edition. Uh, you know, and it, it made a great break night when you were missing, a, like, two critical players and everybody brought their cards. Uh, so you, maybe your main campaign theme wasn't going to run that night. Well, yeah, crap. So two of us are down and we don't really want to have them miss out on the grand finale. Let's bust out some cards and play, boys. Yeah, we used time. to give our decks fun names like the Trees Are Screaming. Yes, that... Yes, my Where finest. the, uh, of course, dice are screaming. Get black, black and green uh, deck called The Trees Are Screaming, uh, which actually is the, uh, the dice are screaming is my 
re-invocation of that sentiment. That, Which was all off of, I have no mouth, I must scream. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... We peeled back the uh, layers of the onion for you to use. There is your kimono opening of the day. But Greyhawk would kind of endure through this time, and Usenet and AOL Nation and stuff like that, use groups like that started coming <laughs> <God>. out. Yeah. <laughs> AOL. Oh, yeah. They used to have Canaan Fire Nights, and uh, that's when I got involved with a group of cats from Canaan Fire, and I got really uh, well invested into my Greyhawk uh, lore. Became a sage and esteemed fellow, along with Pluffet Smegder the Elder. Ah, oh, <laughs> Pluffet Smegder the Elder. Yeah, Gary the Netbot. Yeah, Gary Julian, if you're out there somewhere, wherever you are, you madman, I just hope that you're get out there doing well and getting stronger every day. Yeah. Now, um, Three cheers to the old buddies of the internet. No, I, I squandered all my time back then on a tiny little hack site called uh, Disinfo, uh, where... We basically just showed up to argue over minutia, but it was very much about uh, recognizing what constituted attempts at disinformation and the fraudulent dissemination of information. Hmm. Uh, that, but well, speaking of it, that, wasn't this, as game related. But there were did. a couple uh, later supplements that came out in Greyhawk, like the Scarlet Brotherhood, that would be of interest of that. You know, that would have been very helpful. Um, hmm. And also, the uh, they covered the slave lords, Sean K. Reynolds, uh, kind of at the when TSR. Folded into Wizards of the Coast or whatever you want to call it. He took over for a while, kept it going, but then the third edition came. And this is where our story really begins to unfold tonight. So buckle yeah. up. Here it is. Uh, as we've been wandering around in the weeds, we're back on path. So this this is the one that's near and dear to my heart because I, I think this is so exceptionally of worth. It's so important that we mention this. Because uh, there was a another first a thing that like just had not ever been done so broadly before. Well, yeah, as I had been cutting my teeth on um, the Canaan Fire Crew, uh, third edition came about, and of course they promptly announced that uh, the world of Greyhawk was going to be the core setting. And of course this got everybody excited, and a lot of people jumped on board, and the living Greyhawk came about. Now they had had the living city, and of course, uh, as we were talking before the podcast, there was Living City, there was Living Seattle for Shadowrun, there was a Torg Living campaign. Yeah, Living these were, uh, just to, to frame this, these were attempts to create a micro setting, something that, you know, that is contained enough that it would be easier to manage. And then have DMs scattered all over the country, you know, uh, recording. Uh, following the same baseline rules for the setting and recording events and reporting them back so that the official setting would then be updated and the updates would be sent back to all of the participants. Right. So the environment was continually evolving based on the actions of all of the players doing it. Now, this had been done, but Living Greyhawk. Right. Um, yeah. What had happened in one part of the world would... Uh... And as they tried with a living city, which was Raven's Bluff at first, um, and it broke out from there. They started multiple plot lines, and then they would let people choose um, to play what scenarios they wanted to run in their home games or at conventions. And your progress in those would be noted, and the global campaign would continue. Now, Living Greyhawk kicked it in high gear, as we were talking about, that uh, TSR is a, was going through woes, the RPGA suffered, and uh, since it was pretty much voluntary... 
and uh, people just donated a lot of time on it. It kind of continued, but uh, yeah, faltered off. But with I, the revival of all the fat largesse from Pokemon and Magic the Gathering, Wizards of the Coast had ample reserves of money to throw at things. And so the Living Greyhawk was given a grand treatment. Yeah. No longer would you be confined to small areas. This was an entire global campaign with various uh, directors of areas meeting and making scenarios and approving them and coordinating plot lines and then putting these adventures out in the wild <coughs> and letting people through campaigns or their home games participate in them. <coughs> and they would detail uh, the progress of various groups and the campaign would and this grow and flourish. Uh, let me you know, be specific here. Uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but this was a non-internet MMORPG. Yeah. Okay, the concept of the MMORPG comes out of role-playing games. Uh, and while obviously the internet makes it infinitely easier uh, once they develop the, the engines to, you know, control uh, the entire global populations of players World of Warcraft style. Obviously that made things much easier. But for those who may not have experienced something prior to that, imagine something like this being coordinated sans internet. You know, maybe, you know, used as communications periodically, but the entire thing is decided by players at tables uh, writing stuff down and reporting back and then getting updates on the campaign. Well, yeah, the uh, stunning achievement. It had already kind of been uh, formulated through the other campaigns, the living ones, but this was the first time where multiple campaigns were interacting with each other at the same time, and it had varying degrees of success. It was, for the most part, ambitious, but it started at the tail end of the third edition to bog down because, again, a lot of people really didn't understand or appreciate what Greyhawk was. To them, it was kind of, they wanted to play in Forgotten Realms, or they wanted to play in this, which Living City was still going on, by the way, in 3rd edition. But Living Greyhawk was the big purported one, and it started to kind of falter, not because of what some would view as a corporate disinterest, but more appropriately, there was no overriding authority, and it was a very heady task to run as an authoritative figure, over all these diverse groups who would just end up doing what they wanted anyway. And so it sort of started to fall apart, and and late 2007, it uh, folded up and uh, closed its doors, which, you know, it kind of had, um, it did a lot. Uh, I did a little work with the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer along with Gary Hulian. Um, I had a lot to do with the early parts of uh, Furiandi and some of the Dwarven stuff from the Iron league but uh my uh my two big ad admissions were uh the monks of Herinus and the monks of the uh silver bolt the fist of uh, silver fist excuse me and uh, yep and the uh dwarves of id well, that was my two little uh, contributions so yeah that's yeah. my uh writing props but as it closed up uh greyhawk would endure and uh, the third edition would slowly, uh, as it transitioned to fourth edition, they made it very clear that they were going to go forward with a new itineration of the Forgotten Realm, which incorporated certain facets of Greyhawk and their deities. So it was a blend, but uh, that 
also didn't stop things. Um, a small little plucky company called Paizo picked up Dungeon and Dragon magazine when, uh, for whatever reason, Wizards decided it was too costly. And I think yeah. that was uh, two, 2005, and they started living, or excuse me, not living, but Adventure Pass. Uh, they picked, these guys were pretty much cats from the Living Greyhawk. Uh, Eric Mona was a quander in uh, a lot of the Canaan Fire chats. And he himself uh, would translate a lot of material that we worked on and talked about here and there into the Age of Worms, the second adventure path they had. The first one was uh, Shackled City. And that was actually an RPGA thing for the Living Greyhawk, but uh, that was about when it was starting to fold up. Now, were these uh, these were open gaming licensed products, correct? Uh, well, they were fully licensed by Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, but they were D20... Standard. No, they were just, they were fully well, vested in D&D. They oh. gave them the full authoritative license to publish everything under their own. What office. edition? Third. Okay, that's what I thought. So, yeah, yeah OGL. D20. Well, yeah, but they were more uh, OGL as far as, uh, if you could call D&D OGL. They were, they were the official. They were given uh, one of the few licenses outside of the company to do with as writ, as if it, Wizards of the Coast officially published this stuff. Oh, sure. But uh, as 3rd edition would wind up, uh, so the Age of Worms, I think, and Savage Tide. Yeah, Savage Tide was the last one that was set in Greyhawk. Um, Wizards uh, seemed to be kind of ambivalent about Greyhawk at that point and insisted that the Age of Worms be setting neutral. Well, they were also getting uh, antsy about the entire 3.0, 3.5 era of open gaming license and companies that were not in-house uh, publishing material for the game. Uh, there was a, you know, little little head-scratching over at Hasbro, like, wait a minute, you know. Yeah, well, Wizards would be bought out by Hasbro, and then the bean counters got involved, and there is some antecedent that... And there is one surefire way to make sure that you will not deliver, you know. It, gaming is not like a elaborate calculus that always delivers the exact same results. It's yeah. not. It is a very nebulous... Very weird, very personalized experience. Uh, so you can't algorithm your way out of these quirks and whims. And bean counters pretty much historically have always heralded the end of like a, a quality gaming experience. We have calculated that this is the precise move we should make to uh, maximize profits. And then <coughs> you can hear the stock hitting the floor. <laughs> Uh, you gotta, you gotta take your advice from an actual player and maker of the games. Indeed, but we're gonna be back with you shortly. We have to take a quick break. All right, and we're back. Sorry, we had to take it with Chuck. Break. Ask us some other time. Nonetheless, um, the main part was is that as uh, Paizo started to also wind down and uh, the license was removed, uh, they also did a couple other return to Castle Greyhawk, where it kind of all wrapped it up. Um, there was a couple other, uh, return twos here and there, but, uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil was early on, and, uh, that was kind of, uh, one of those things in his Greyhawk lore, you know, you would expect it to kind of be like the Temple of Elemental Evil, but again, uh, creative direction, uh, trumps Kanan in this one, and, uh, I received a lot of flack from my fellow Kanan Fire people for... Uh, giving Monty Cook a pass on it. I'm like, hey, you know, he didn't do quite what uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil did, but uh, he did his own take on it, and uh, 
you know? Yeah, I don't think it was bad material. Uh, we played through it. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, um, you know, could it have been more like the Greyhawk module? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. There, But that's, you know, we, here's what we say on the Dice Dish Gaming. If you don't like something that somebody makes, well, roll up your sleeves, break out the graph paper and dice, and go to work yourself. Yeah, uh, the adage that we have repeated so many times on this show that it's probably a little onerous to you by now, uh, great DMs don't borrow. They steal. And, you know, you inject the stuff that you like. Uh, you copy and keep the material that you approve of, and you excise the material that you don't. Uh, it, I was never aware of an era where that was not a DM's role. Yeah. Um, I never, it never even occurred to me that there were people who perceived the process as a thing like, well, you know, if I get one of these books, it better be only stuff I like, because that's exactly the way I've got to play it. I never heard of that. And mind you, I started this like 35 plus years ago. I, uh, I was floored when I was told that there are DMs that just have never altered anything structurally and are furious that there is material that is released that they don't approve of. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. What, what alien universe is this from? Because uh, I've been editing and stealing and copying and fusing and just doing weird stuff. Since the beginning, and yeah. that's the only way I knew how to play the game, and it, it really, it all right, I, I admit it, threw me for a loop, man. I was a little mind-fried, like, whoa, mind equals blown. Wait, wait, there are people who just, like, the text is like the sacred texts and must not be expurgated, you know, just, whoa, I, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing, man. Well, some people come to the table with different expectations, I yeah. suppose. And I, you know, to me, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't bother me. Play how you want. And uh, if you don't like a product, don't buy it. And more importantly, if you don't like what it has to say or what it does for you, then change it. And failing that, you know, just move on. Um, yeah, I never had an adventure in the Great Kingdom. I, I never really thought it was that interesting. I thought it was too big and not well enough fleshed out. So, you know what? Uh, on the sole occasion that I did any writing for it, uh, I, I believe I only exercised it as a campaign location once. Well, uh, you used Raddick. I'll, I'll take you to task on this. You used the uh, Duchy of Raddick. Yeah. The Archbarony, excuse me, of Raddick quite a bit. And uh, because, again, it was focused and it was uh, kind of one of those Switzerland-Luxembourg things where they could enforce their own independence. Well, I, I did write a Great Kingdom thing where it was a uh, hidden heir to the throne uh you know, one of those dust-up kind of things where I just, I borrowed a little bit of that uh, Man in the Iron Mask. Uh, yeah. You know, some whips of the Three Musketeers. I, it was a hodgepodge of things that were favorites of mine fused into the setting. Uh, by way of example, this, that to, to me, very much in the spirit of what Greyhawk was about, is that they left you enough open space to be the creative mind while using their framework. Yeah, that's why I really dug Ibid the Undying, and more there's a pity that it could never have seen print. But um, if you can get your hands on a copy today, it's well worth the read. I highly recommend it, as loyal as any of the other uh, return to that were done for Greyhawk specifically. And uh, nonetheless, they would reprise Greyhawk for uh, some 4th edition stuff uh, against the Giants. But uh, again, set kind of in this... 
I don't want to use this word too harshly, but this mixture, and I'm being generous with this, between Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms that was neither and had none of the characteristics of, or strengths of either setting. <laughs> A shocking game yeah, Aphrodite. But, yeah, I'm not uh, even, yeah. No, it was, you know, not of one and yet not of the other. Uh, not enough of either, not enough of either one. And it just... It was an amalgam that did not work out well, and instead of creating a magical aura calcum, you know, that <clears throat> solved all our problems and, you know, was better than ever, it created a hideous mess. And, uh, well, it, I don't know about mess, but it was more like somebody tried to write a dungeon for World of Warcraft on pen and paper with boss fights, uh, trash mobs, <laughs> secondary goals timer timed events it uh and it, it was very much as though the other person the person doing that writing did not quite get either of the two car concepts uh and diminishing both in the process mm-hmm. but i also attribute that to fourth edition uh working so hard to divorce itself from previously published materials uh, and from the open gaming license uh you know trying to create a Uniquely marketable brand that excluded everyone else. That's like, no, no, to play, you have to buy all the other accessories. And here's our new cash cow. And it's all like TM trademarked. And there's no way out. And one must go with all the others. Wow. Congratulations, bean counters. You actually killed the game. You know, you broke the duck. Like it's never happened before in any other (laughs) game. But yeah, sure. Uh, no, I'm no, gonna... no, that's just it, is that it has happened in other games, and the evidence was there to act <laughs> as a forewarning that you realize that when you do this, you're just, you're like slitting your own throat here. Don't tell me, I'm a doctor, I know when I'm slitting my own... <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Relax, folks, no actual doctors were hurt in this podcast. We warned him. We uh, did. <laughs> but with that... Um... You know, I'm not going to get too much on the, the fourth edition hate. Uh, some people, you know, that's where they came in on and they liked it. I got my it out personal, of my system for today. My personal grudge against it is the removal of the DM and just making them events. Uh, yeah, that's kind of not. I mean, I guess it works from a standpoint if you don't want any. Nobody wants to DM. You could kind of do yeah. it as a ad hoc referee by uh, mutual consensus. but Yeah, uh, that, and I, I get that not everybody wants to be a DM, but I, I also believe that it was the attempt to get the other creatives out of the way. You know, mm. stop changing the material. Just buy the published work. Stop being indie. You know, uh, that was, I think, part of the drive there was to take that back out of the hands and just, you know, I disagree entirely. But like, wow, you know, that is... That is the death of the entire core concept. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has been and still is driven by creativity, not by its makers, but by the creativity of its players and its DMs. Okay, that is the driving force that keeps it alive. Oh well, sure. I'm not contesting that in any way or shape or form. I'm just saying that that was the way that they did it, and whether we hate it or like it, yeah. that's what happened. And. In that mark, uh, fifth edition eventually came around. Which... Now we get to the real ending here. The the you know the end of fourth, the dawn of fifth, the rise of a new era of popularity, and which... the future of Greyhawk. Well, 
For better or for worse, I think that Greyhawk will endure, but I doubt that we'll see anything soon. And for some people who say more is the pity, we've already spent some time talking about the elaboration of you can get and publish the old PDFs in book form or spiral notes if you're, uh, you know, budget conscious. Books are a little expensive, sometimes running up words of 75, 80 bucks, whereas the spiral bound books are about 20, 30, depending on, you know, what, uh, if you want a hardcover on it or not. And I, I do recommend uh, being cost effective and going after the PDFs. The material is worth harvesting for your own campaigns. There is so much generous material there. There's so many things that can be uh, inspirational to and useful to DMs in totally different campaign settings. Greyhawk has a lot to teach. It's it's outstanding in that respect. Yeah, and now that the Ghost of Saltmarsh has allowed new people to venture in, I'm pretty sure that we'll see a renewal interest in Greyhawk. And I think that setting it in its common year, uh, 583, right after the Battle of Emory Meadows, is probably the default setting for any Greyhawk campaign. At least that's my recommendation as a Greyhawk lore nerd. Now, as other things would go, I also recommend highly that if you decide, for whatever reasons, to go with divergent Greyhawk campaigns or ones of your own making, you know, Greyhawk is an excellent place to adapt. Um, Just taking the names and uh, places and maybe a few key people, and you can run with it for, and just using the maps, you can run for it for a very long time without running out of any juice or running out of the boundaries. Oh, yeah. Uh, Remembering that, like, the span of, uh, any human player character's life is a period of, uh, at most, about 100 years tops. Uh, you know, and the uh, career of adventuring is probably, you know, only a, a few sparse decades uh, at most, uh, if they're very fortunate and aren't getting their clock cleaned uh, two adventures in. Uh, you know, you're not going to radically disrupt a campaign world by running a campaign in a time that is not normally referred to in the base setting uh, as it was published. You know, uh, do your own homework, do your own reading. Uh, Try to devolve the setting if you're moving backwards in time or advance the setting if you're moving forwards in time. I mean, if you really want to get to the age of pistols and things like that, uh, you know, to the the black powder weapons age, you know, you can always fast forward. Uh, well, they do mention in the uh, box set that Pluffet Megdur the Elder lived in a time, uh, I think it was 998 common year, wherein the world of Greyhawk magic had started to disappear and had almost been mythalized. I mean, it still was kind of there. People could cast spells, but uh, it had moved into a new age where science and reason were starting to take over where myth and magic had once been. Dawn of and the this was his, he has the... Uh, Grand Archivist of the City of Greyhawks uh, um, legends and uh, ancient artifacts and antiquities. He was uh, creating a game, a simulation type game, to play back in those days of yore. And so I think that's a good place. Uh, Common Year 583 is the one from the core book. But if I were to give Druthers, and if you were just to take me out, remove all my gaming stuff and say, you're going to play Greyhawk, but we'll give you everything you need. I would take From the Ashes. Carl Sargent's treatment, I think, uh, while it didn't appeal to me initially because it was kind of like, ah, I got my own stuff, I'm doing my own thing. 
looking at his treatment of the work and his rather work, scholarly workmanship style of writing about the various areas made it very interesting for me. So uh, I give a hearty recommendation to uh, Carl Sargent uh, from the Ashes box set for me. That's my two cents, So, and that's my TED Talk. <laughs> but I think we uh, have wound out oh, our, exhaustively. our topic, and we both uh, expressed ourselves very vehemently. We, well, we've, we've, we've taken that dead horse and then just pummeled it to within an inch of its unlife. We got another couple miles out of it, so I would say that's a win for all of us. Nonetheless, we hope you enjoyed our podcast. These two parts of Greyhawk will be coming at you with more campaign settings and other modules from yesteryear and current day. As we continue on, our trek on the dice are screaming. We are, vast, are fastly approaching our vast catalog of back episodes, which are lengthy, of nearing 100. And as we get closer, we'll come to our 100th episode, and our 104th will be our year-long episode. We have not really missed a podcast. We've been a day late. On one. Yeah, on one. One and one only. We've been doing these twice a week, coming at you here. So, yeah, the one-year anniversary is almost upon us. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Yep, you're going to see it happen. So, uh... We will uh, keep up with you, and uh, please let us know if you have anything you'd like to us to do for these uh, upcoming podcasts. As we're oh. nearing 100, we'd like to do something special for you guys. We'll probably do, be doing some giveaways. So, as always, if there's questions or comments or things we did, things Hot we topics, didn't do. ideas, things that, uh, you know, events people's interest, that, yeah. you know, like, hey, let's hear about this. Let's let's crack open that topic. Uh, we're open. Uh, yeah, just let us know at uh, Death Hand Gaming at Twitter. That's D E T H A N D Gaming. Uh, and of course, Magi Vox. And of and course, Twitter. our uh, Dexter Screaming Facebook page. Ah, yes. Um, yep. Of course, Facebook, ubiquitously. And we have a Instagram presence brought to you by CC. Yeah, my wife. Um, she has that. So you can get a hold of us or let us know what's going on there. So we're going to be uh, winding it down. So we hope you enjoyed and may the the dice dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.